Welcome to Howlin' with the Wolf, and this is the spooky episode that I promised. The episode where I go into what happened at the Haunted Museum. Zach Bagans of Ghost Adventures has a haunted museum here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And for some reason or another, at one point, I worked there. Here's the episode. We're going to talk about that, a couple of my paranormal experiences, and probably some complaining about a little of everything. Here's Howlin' with the Wolf. I am the wolf. Let's get it. All right, so I have always been interested in the paranormal. In fact, when I was a kid, I was terrified of nearly everything. I grew up in a very religious household, and there were a lot of rules and things where I thought at any given moment the devil was going to come out of a secret little door in the wall and abduct me and take me to hell. And my night terrors included such ridiculous things as trains plowing through doors that would run me over or Muppets that would eat me. I mean, there's so many things your parents try to protect you from when you're a kid to keep you from having nightmares and you're still going to have them anyway. You know, for instance, uh, you're not allowed to watch horror movies, but you can watch Masters of the Universe where the main character is the Grim Reaper or, uh, you know, muscle-bound Grim Reaper, and his companion is a werewolf, and then the creature from the Black Lagoon is another one of his minions. I mean, you know, the scary stuff's got to be there, and why I was terrified of Muppets is because they had a lot of skits where they would just continually eat each other, and it would be like these giant googly-eyed beasts and monsters that would run up and grab one of these terrified little minions and they did something wrong, they would get eaten. I mean, that's like Dante's Inferno kind of shit. You, you watch this as a kid and, you know, some kids go, oh man, that's, that's awesome. Ha ha, how cute is that? And then you got kids like me who are being told the devil's going to get you at any minute from the church that I was at because they were very strict that uh, I'm thinking, you know, fuck, these things are the devil and I'm I'm going to die. So, you know, being a kid that was afraid of absolutely everything, it, it's weird to me that uh, I would end up so obsessed with the paranormal. And it's because of one instance in particular. And I'd always had paranormal things happen. In fact, even as a kid, uh, a couple of times of the night terrors, I know for a fact I was awake and then talking to something in my closet. And the reason I know that is because I would get up and I would put together these little expandable uh, tubes. I don't know what they were. They looked like little, uh, you know, collecting Legos, but they would accordion in and out and you could make a long tube. And I was brave enough to connect them all and then shove them under the door. And I would sit there and I would talk to the monster in the closet. Now you're doing that while you're awake and you remember these scenarios. I don't remember what we said, but it must have been something to the effect of leave me alone, don't hurt my family, and things like that. But I was brave enough to do that while I was awake. And there were a lot of instances, you know, and we're talking, this was four and five years old. And I even had recurring nightmares when I was three and four years old of a gorilla chasing me upstairs, that I was in this old museum type place and you know there was 
things I didn't understand, like ladies in a box with pins stuck in them. You know, it was a, it was a voodoo doll. And it was funny when I would end up working at the Haunted Museum, there's a staircase that goes up behind uh, some of the exhibits. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is the this is the dream that I had. And now I'm here. And that wouldn't be the first premonition or vision that I would have. So I've always been sort of intuitive. I mean, there's been many times where I've should have died, almost died, and somehow possibly reversed it. I mean, I remember going, getting pizza one night in Hollywood Video next door uh, to the Papa Murphy's, and I go over to Hollywood Video, grab a movie, get the receipt where it's actually time-stamped when I was there, go over and pick up my pizza, and by the time I get home, I'm hearing sirens everywhere, and it come to find out the next day, they said at... 5.50 p.m. last night, a car drove through the front of Hollywood Video, killed the staff and the customers that were there, uh, you know, right by the window. And I looked at my timestamp on my receipt, realizing that I had just been there 10 minutes before. You know, and I've been on church camp outings and all sorts of things where I'd, you know, climb up. We would go up to, like, Mount Rainier, and I'd climb up mossy, slick uh logs they'd flip over on top of me and you know pin me underwater and how I could lift a you know five six hundred pound log and push it off me and throw it down the hill is beyond me but you know amazing feats of strength and for whatever reason I survived so there's been a lot of instances where I just sort of got used to the paranormal and extraordinary things happen. I mean, even aliens. Uh, we had a Down syndrome uh, kid. Uh, maybe he was late teens, early 20s, but, you know, his mentality is uh, grade school at best. And in the same building when I was having the night terrors when I was five and six years old, you would hear him crawling in the bushes outside the window and poking just his head and his eyes up, and he would hoot like an owl. And I was terrified for the longest time of owls because I thought they were aliens. Well, come to find out, you know, it was just him and the way his eyes glistened in the moonlight. It must have creeped me out or looked like an alien, something like that. Um, you know, sweetest kid in the world, but he didn't know that he was absolutely terrifying me. And so, the, you know, there was instances like that where you could say, Oh, well, maybe he snuck in and he was the thing that was in your closet that you were talking to. Well, no, that's not technically true. In fact, uh, there's no way of getting in and out of those apartments in, in Washington for some reason or another. It doesn't flood because it's always raining. But some of the apartments, the first level is backed up to a hill. So if you looked out your window, you would see feet walking past you. So for somebody to poke their head up, they would have to be literally on their belly on the ground to look into that bedroom window. But that particular apartment was very haunted and very uh, paranormally active. Lots of, I don't want to say bad memories, but a lot of things happened in that building that were just unexplainable, that never happened anywhere else. I never had as much trouble as I did anywhere else in Washington than I did in this one apartment building. And... Uh, another instance was uh, my mom woke up screaming one night and 
bundled me up, thought someone had broke into the house and rushed to the hospital because it looked like somebody had taken a baseball bat and smashed it over her shins. And the doctor, you know, of course, uh, one of my other family members there, I believe it was my uncle, the doctor questioned my uncle as if he had done it and then asked if there was anything that she could have possibly bumped into in her sleep. I wasn't strong enough to whack her with a baseball bat. I mean, there's no Lizzie Borden shit going on there. But um, it was just a... uh, it was just a a weird apartment and we've still never been able to explain that away. I mean, water would drip from the fans, from the ceiling, things would move. Uh, that's where I had all my night terrors. I would wake up not peeing the bed, but be soaked from head to toe because I was sweating so much and I would have uh, sleep paralysis. So it just, yeah, it, it was real crazy. But all of those things, even still, you start getting used to it and you start realizing that, you know, this shit's just going to happen. And there was a couple instances where, I don't want to say I abandoned religion, but I started opening my eyes to the whole fear-mongering shit that they try and do to you. And I started seeing things for myself. So... You know, you got to understand when you're a kid, you believe everything that adults tell you because they know what's best for you. And as you start becoming a teenager, you realize these fuckers don't know what they're talking about. They're just trying to find a way to control you so you don't do bad things. So being that I grew up in a very religiously strict household, there were a lot of things that I was afraid of. And one of the things one of the biggest things other than listening to rock music will send you to hell was that premarital sex will send you to hell. So once I started, uh, you know, having girlfriends and, and fucking around, you know, I'm 15 years old. Uh, I I was more concerned with that than I was anything else because, I mean, who wouldn't be? Uh, the, I just discovered what that thing was finally used for and it was amazing. Um, but it was causing some weird side effects and I still can't really explain it to this day. And once I started having sex and, uh, you know, enjoying things like that and I started waking up to, you know, sin essentially, um, I, I started getting what, what doctors were calling stingers, uh, football players, martial artists maybe would know what that is. Cause, uh, if you spear someone or, run headfirst into things constantly it's going to compress your neck and your skull and give you sort of a a sharp pain like a rail spike at the base of your skull top of your vertebrae and your neck and they would call those stingers there would be times where I would get so obsessed with the sin supposedly that I was doing that I would get these stinger attacks you know so this may be too much information for some people but it would get to the point where anytime I was aroused or in the middle of an act doing something sexual I would also almost have to stop because I would get stingers and there was something I mean it literally felt like somebody was stabbing me at that little bump at the base of your cranium 
And I went to the doctors and they couldn't explain it. They kept telling me, you know, you're fine, whatever. Well, I didn't believe it. And that's when I first started uh, not trusting doctors. So that's a whole nother podcast. I could talk about all the bullshittery that they do and put people through and why it's absolutely useless to go to a doctor. We're finding a lot of these things out now that we're in a pandemic when you realize your doctor doesn't have any of the answers. But I digress. We're talking about haunted shit. So what does that have to do with hauntings? Well, these stingers would happen whenever I would do so. So if I I wasn't I hadn't dr- started drinking yet. Obviously I was too young. This is like 15, 16, 17 years old. Uh so anytime I would have too much caffeine or have sex, do something that aroused me or I was out in the sun uh swimming. I mean, I thought it was a combination of caffeine, sex and Uh, sort of sin that would give me these stingers and it got so bad that it would drop me to my knees and I would cry and what do you do when you grew up in a religious household you beg your religion to make it stop so you pray about it you ask God to fix it and to stop it and then you quickly realize it's not stopping so I asked the other guy, oh yeah, I was at such a loss and in such pain that I asked the devil to make the pain stop. Pause for dramatic effect. Guess what happened? Nothing. Fucking even the devil wouldn't come help me. If the devil was real, if you, if you believe in that sort of thing and you believe that there is somebody down there torturing people in hell, good for you. But, you know, a lot of people don't realize that Satan and Lucifer was hell's first prisoner. He's not the ruler of hell. He was the first prisoner of hell, thus meaning that God was the one actually torturing people. But, hey, you know, good guy, bad guy, right? So... The devil didn't help me. Jesus didn't help me. God didn't help me. Praying didn't help. Doctors couldn't help me. My poor mom doing everything she possibly can to help me. My grandma even too. Everybody had their old methods, everything. Nothing helped. And I hate to tell you this. Never found out what was causing that. And it just went away but it was a real weird time and they say that a lot of people's uh, paranormal and spiritual awakening will happen in their later teen years uh, especially with women you know when they their body starts changing a lot of witches were accused because of you know basically puberty and I obviously was well past puberty because I was already having sex and had hair in every possible place there was. So I don't know. I I still have no idea what that was, but it was a real weird time for me because also at my church, a lot of corruption was happening to where the pastor that I grew up with, whose son pretty much abused me at camp and, you know, did terrible things to me. I'm not talking sexually. I'm talking like beat me up, hid snakes in my sleeping bag and made me think that rock music and all that was a devil, even though the pastor's son was addicted to drugs and alcoholic and in and out of jail. But hey, you know, 
who's judging here, right? And uh, the new pastor was shaming people. He was one of those Southern Baptists that was all about the money. He was a very corrupt and devious, evil person. And it got to the point where while these stingers were happening, I could almost see people's true forms. And every time I saw this person, he, this new pastor just had a blackened aura. Very dark, very demonic aura revolving around him. And he would shame my family and others, make them stand up and ask why they couldn't give 100% of their paycheck on 100% Sundays because this asshat had uh, told everyone that once a month, you know, and my mom was struggling as it was as a single parent. Why would she give one entire paycheck to a church? What does the church use the money for? Well, it's the dude's salary. I mean, pastors and churches are the biggest panhandlers there are. Uh, so, you know, enough on that. But that was going on. I was battling spirituality and and sort of questioning everything at that point. I was getting these stingers. And then I started getting visions and I started getting uh, premonitions about things. And my dreams started to be a little more realistic to where I wasn't just having night terrors anymore. Uh, I, I was dreaming about things that would or could happen. And they say a lot of times when you're sleeping that you can dream a year's worth of activity in an hour. You know, there was an instance where someone got shot outside my window up in Washington and almost in my mind before it had happened, I was already out of bed and ducking for cover. But what happened is the gunshot went off and I immediately fell out of bed, covered my head and laid on the ground until my mom came and got me and told me to get away from the wall because bullets could go through the wall. I mean, what do I know? But, um... I was having a dream that I was filling air in a tire like Goofy and it was just expanding too much and I was like, it's going to blow, it's going to blow, it's going to blow. I kept warning people and then the bang goes off in real life and I realize, oh shit, uh, that wasn't a tire exploding in a dream. That was a gunshot. This is real life. I need to wake up. So was that a premonition? Was that something that was getting me uh, awake before it happened? I don't know. Um, there was another instance where I had a, a shelf or something above my bed and a spirit or something knelt down next to my bed and whispered a nickname that only my mom and my grandma would call me. And it woke me up and I jolted away just before the thing fell down and hit where my head would have been. So it was like, it was warning me this weird thing was is both my mom and my grandma were alive at that point so uh you know that was a weird instance and the main one that sort of uh changed my outlook on everything and you know you can say what you will and believe what you will is i like to call it my possession where, yes, I do believe that I was possessed and at one point saw the thing that would end up attaching itself to me even today. I had a dream where I saw my future wife 
specific tattoos and details about her. And it was a dream that I was having for a couple days in a row. In fact, it was such a powerful vision that I, I started writing uh, what I call an autobiographical horror book out of it because these were such uh, an outlandish uh, visions and, and premonitions that I had to write it down. I even skipped college at this point so I could write this down. But I had this premonition that I was going to lose a child and that I saw who my future wife was. So in the dream, her face was blurred out, much like they say Lucifer is. Uh, there, there's a legend that says if you see Satan or the devil, he's the most beautiful person that ever existed, but you won't actually be able to meet his gaze. It would be blurry. So I could see details of like her tattoos, her shape, uh, her hairstyle, smells, her touch, everything, but her face was blurred. So it was like the beyond or whatever can only give you so much information uh, without just blatantly spilling it out. And in that dream, we had a child. Well, on this particular night, I had gone to bed, normal night, and, you know, wasn't like a pizza before bed gives you nightmares or too much caffeine or uh, hot sauce or wings are going to make your brain super active. It was just a regular night. Went to bed, always had a nightlight on. And I was having a dream that me and my wife, this same woman I've been having dreams about, were laying in bed with our baby in between us. And I had this horrible, horrid dream and vision, much like Rumpelstiltskin, that a demon was going to come and take my baby away. At that exact same time, my dog just started barking for no reason. And not just a, hey, someone's at the door or someone's coming up the stairs. We're talking like slobber spitting, growling. Like there is something deadly wrong here. Wake up, get out of the house. It's wrong. So I realized that now I am no longer in the dream that this is really happening. And before I know it, I was in the hallway and I saw what was coming through the door. Now I get goosebumps talking about it because this is the pivotal moment in my life where something so horrific happens that it'll forever change the way you think about things and, and realize what's happening around you. I've never seen anything so black in my entire life. She was barking at the door with a light above her and something came through the door that was blacker than black and it stood there and stared at me and I was already in the hallway and I started screaming something. I don't know Latin. I don't know rites of exorcism, but I was saying something in a grovelly voice in a guttural manner while I was stomping my feet and pointing at this thing. 
And keep in mind, all of this happened in seconds where I'm dreaming that something's going to take my baby away. Something comes through the door. Somehow I'm out of bed and in the hallway and ready to confront this dark entity. And for whatever reason, whatever I was saying angered it. And in an instance, it entered me. And I felt like I was floating off the ground, like I was shaking my hands and arms and feet. And how do my feet both shake in the air if I'm not levitating off the ground? And the next thing that I remember is my mom screaming bloody murder, thinking that someone's in the house trying to kill me, seeing her son levitate or growling or at least screaming his head off in a night terror. And she tackles me to the floor to try and wake me up. And I kept trying to tell her, there's something in here, there's something in me, there's something at the door, whatever. And as soon as she tackled me and snapped me out of it, it was like I awoke as another person. And I've never been afraid, ever again. And it's been a real hard thing. I've told a few girlfriends this. I've told a few people this story. And usually it's the last time I ever hear from them. My mom doesn't like to talk about it. Girlfriends haven't liked to talk about it. The minute you try and tell someone that you were possessed, they immediately look at you like there's something wrong with you. Obviously, that's not real. These things don't really happen. You're lying. Even if you could explain it away that I was just having a night terror, suffering from sleepwalking and sleep paralysis, and my mouth wasn't able to move... Uh, so that I was just uh, prattling off gibberish. It doesn't seem like whatever happened that night was fake in any way. Now, I would later get proof that it wasn't fake from other psychics, mediums, and people I would run across in my, my time, you know, since my awakening, as I like to call it now. So you're probably thinking, man, this guy's nuts. Uh, If you're somebody that knows me personally, you're like, all right, I need to get this kid some help or this guy's mental case. But I'm really giving you all this information so that you understand where I'm coming from so that you understand why I went from being literally afraid of absolutely everything to being afraid of nothing. When I awoke from... That situation, I couldn't sleep that night. I couldn't get it out of my head. There were weeks that I wouldn't talk about it. And it took a good year or two before I I would bring it up again and want to ask what happened. Because it had seemed like I had blocked it out of my mind. And then I just had to know. I'd ask my mom about it. She said, well, you weren't floating. You were just more like standing there talking. And it was like you were sleepwalking. And it seemed to me like she was downplaying it, even though she knew and I knew that I was somewhat intuitive and that a lot of these things had, uh, you know, come to fruition that I I had thought, talked about or dreamt about. So I would end up meeting this girl that I had the dream about. And... I was convinced she was the one. I mean, I was on a quest. I had a type, 
per se. And I was on a quest to find this girl, even though bad things were going to happen. Uh, I, I, I just had a feeling that it was fate and that I was fated to meet this woman. And I did. And it, it was one of those things where it was weird for her. It was weird for me. I even got to a point where when we were dating, it got still frustrating because I tried to tell her, you don't understand we were meant to be together. I know you don't understand that because she was living with another guy and just basically a professional couch surfer and wanting to slut around with everyone. And I kept trying to tell her, I was like, you don't understand. You were meant for me. I've had these dreams about you. And she's like, this is too weird. I can't deal with it. And then she... Uh, for one reason or another, finally agreed. And we started spending the night together and started forming a relationship and, and things were golden for, you know, a couple of weeks there, even though we started off fighting for like six months. But once we finally committed to each other and were in a relationship, like to me, things were fine. And uh, it was probably, you know, a good year that uh, I, I really thought, you know, this is the one. And... Uh, the problem with her, though, is I had told her I had dreams she was the one. I hadn't told her what was going to happen. I never told her about the kid. I never told her about the baby that was going to be taken away. And, yes, she had the same tattoo that I had dreamt about, the same hairstyle. Uh, the only thing that was different was in the dream she was wearing sort of a blue uh, suit, which they don't wear, you know, uh pantsuits, shoulder suits, or whatever. Um, but that was the only difference was the outfit. So I didn't know if she would... Uh, I guess she she did work as a manager in a retail establishment. So it could have been that I was dreaming she was just in a, uh, a designer-type job. Well, I was a musician at the time. She would follow me around. She was, for the most part, unemployed and would travel with me. And we played a local gig one time where even though we lived in the city we were playing at, uh, we got a hotel anyway. So she stayed the night with me, obviously. We weren't living together at that point, I don't think. And it was fun to kind of pretend that we were living together and starting a family. The first night we stayed together, we woke up and there were handprints on the mirrored wall, which, you know, we were perverts and we were fucking all over that damn hotel and you know, trying to get away with shit inside the casino. And we hadn't, I hadn't done anything to her to where her hands would have been on the wall. But when we both woke up, there were handprints on the the mirror wall. You know, in casinos, they always have like porno rooms and shit and mirrors on the ceilings and cocaine glass trays next to the bed. And uh, we couldn't figure it out. Well, the next night, she started having nightmares and, and acting real crazy. And I just, I left her alone. I went out and started drinking, came back to the room and figured, all right, uh, you know, let's just uh, fuck one out and go to sleep and whatnot. And I couldn't wake her up and and she just thrashing around. And I, I, start, I kept trying to like shake her. I'm like, hun, wake up, wake up. What's up? What are you dreaming about? And she kept muttering something about a little girl standing at the end of the bed that kept saying, you killed me, you bitch, you killed me. 
when which point that I started freaking out because I'm like, here it is. I met the girl that I've had the dream about where my baby is supposedly going to get taken away from me. I hadn't told her that. And now she's having a dream about a kid haunting her saying, you killed me. And I mean, I, I got to the point where uh, I, I had her in a uh, martial arts hold, you know, not like a rear naked choke hold, but I had my legs wrapped around her and my arms wrapped around her just so that she couldn't hurt herself or me. And I couldn't calm her down. She was at that point of possession where I thought that I was. And I just, I said, that's it. And I, I walked out. And I guess, you know, an hour or so later that I went back to the room, me not being there had calmed her down and she was sitting up and she's just freaking out, smoking like a truck driver. And, you know, I asked her what happened. She's like, I don't want to talk about it. And months later, same thing. You know, it was just like my scenario where she just absolutely freaked out, wanted to know what happened, but couldn't actually say it because she thought that she would somehow uh, maybe conjure it back again. And she would later admit to me that, uh, you know, what she had seen and confirmed about the girl that she saw. And she said it was just real scary. And I said, uh, have you ever been pregnant before? Have you ever had an abortion? She's like, no, never done anything like that. She's like, it's, it's against her religion. She always said that she wanted a kid. We started talking about stuff and I still couldn't bring myself to tell her my premonition and my dream. Cause in my mind, I didn't want it to happen. Um, uh, but I knew it was going to happen. And the relationship went on, but after that point, it had started to go downhill. We started fighting more. We drifted further apart. But being in a committed relationship, we weren't using condoms. And it was always amazing to me that she never went to the doctor to get uh, contraceptives or, or birth control pills or anything like that. And we never used condoms and that she never got pregnant, but she did gain weight at one point and I had switched jobs. I was now, uh, I had left music and I was now a bartender at the brothels and she just started acting really, really weird. Well, long story short on that one, uh, there was a day that caught me off guard where she got up before I did and left the house and she wouldn't text me back. And she had already started to do some real shady shit where I thought she was cheating on me or something. She started hanging out with this girlfriend that didn't like me, didn't like our situation. And she was trying to get her away from me and she just got up and left. So I was in the house alone and I was beside myself. I don't know why, but I had this feeling of impending doom and dread. And I, I sat in my backyard and just for one reason or another, I just, I started bawling my eyes out. It was like a part of me had died. And I thought something was wrong with her. I thought, you know, maybe it's a family member, maybe something happened, whatever. She came back in a completely different mood. She had been very moody and dark and almost depressed. And she came back like happy and bouncy and very unnervingly sweet as somebody would if they had just done something wrong and were trying to make up for it. She sits on my lap and dries my tears and tries to talk to me. And I said, are you okay? 
And she says, yeah, of course. Why? And I said, I just have this dread that something terrible has just happened. And my mom's replied to texts. She had come home, so it wasn't her. Everyone in my family was safe. I didn't know why, but I felt that something disastrous had just happened. And very unlike her, she coddled me like a baby and was like stroking my head, put my head on her chest and was like, oh, baby, it's okay. You're okay, sweetie. And she started acting motherly. It was very weird. So I, you know, being a bartender in the brothels and working with the girls, I was uh, talking about this situation and I was listing a lot of things that had happened where, you know, she had stopped getting her period. She started gaining weight, being moody. There were a lot of things. And one of the girls, uh, she just flat out came up and told me, she's like, you, you must be a dumb motherfucker. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, she had an abortion on you. And I was like, what? Yeah, she was pregnant and her friend took her to go get an abortion. And th that's why you felt like some part of you had died. And it felt like someone had just kicked me in the nuts. And I immediately wished the worst possible things on this woman that was living with me that I was supposedly in a relationship with. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole thing of, you know, women's rights and women's bodies and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yes, it was her decision. I feel that if we were in a committed relationship that she would have at least brought it to me. But again, apparently males have no say in whether or not their children get murdered. Um, and I don't care if that's offensive or not, but that was just as much my child as it was hers. And it pretty much doomed me so much so that that was the last relationship that I would be in. And this is all the way back in 2011. And I haven't been in a serious relationship since. Yeah, I've had girlfriends and they've been like flings and lasted a month or two here and there. And I've had a lot of dumb shit happen, a lot of terrible dating stories. But from high school till 2011, so 97 to 2011, I was trying to find the one, the bunny ears, quote unquote, the one. And I was trying to do the right thing, start a family and be in a committed relationship, have children and live the American dream. And this bitch ruined it for me and, and broke me essentially. So I confronted her and I asked her if that's what happened. She denied it. She always denied it. Even her friends would later come up to me and said she would gloat and boast about that she had done it. And I later admitted to my family, you know, this is why she was acting strange and said, you know, I hate to even say it, but I guess my dream was true that my firstborn child would be killed. And I don't know how long she uh, would uh, was pregnant or whatnot, but the fact of the matter is, is I had that dream when I was, you know, 16, 17 that my firstborn child was going to be taken away from me. Now, oddly enough, a year passes, I still befriend some of these people, and one of the girls that told me that she had an abortion on me, that my girlfriend, not not the hooker, uh, I started befriending one of the, the working girls, and 
she was very intuitive and her and I had a very interesting relationship and she would tell me things like, uh, you have an attachment, you have something very dark about you, but it's in control and it's actually your protector. And I remember even a time that I, no, she would call it my dragon basically. Um, and she said that that's why at times you'll get super angry is because your dragon takes over and if you've ever, you know, basically anything that I've ever done involving sin or debauchery or anything that I'm not supposed to be doing, supposedly this dragon uh, protects me. And it would explain a lot of things because, you know, I've, I've unfortunately driven pissed drunk. I've gotten drunk and in fights and survived. I've survived a lot of things where I shouldn't have. I've done a lot of things that I shouldn't have. And for some, one reason or another, I've always been protected and things have always worked out. And, you know, a lot of people would attribute that to a guardian angel or a family member or an ancestor or something like that. But people keep telling me that don't know me that I have a dark attachment that protects me. And these people aren't talking to each other. These are completely random people. In fact, there was a time where I was working at the airport doing security for Homeland Security. And... I was in there doing my training, learning about all the new IEDs and ways people can hide bombs and put shit on the airplanes. And this real hippie chick uh, comes up and she's like, you know, she's massaging people's necks, very touchy-feely. She used to be an old working girl. I mean, everyone in Nevada that's female has either been a stripper or a working girl at one point in their life. And, you know, this cougar comes up and she's trying to massage my neck. And she's like, do you mind if I read your aura? I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? That's fine. So she starts, you know, moving her hands around my head like a damn crystal ball. And she, uh, she stops. She goes, oh, oh, damn. Oh, okay, never mind. And I turned around and I gave her the look, you know, kind of like the rock eyebrow with the undertaker eyes. Like, you know, I know what you just saw. And I was making it up. I didn't know what she had seen, but she told me I have something very dark attached to me that looked right at her when she tried to look at it, and it was the scariest thing she had ever seen. And so there was another instance. And, and now that was before I was working at the brothels. There was another instance when I was still at the brothels, which there's a lot of energy. I mean, there's a lot of sexual energy and a lot of everything at those places. So I took a vacation, went back up to Washington, and in one of the stores was a metaphysical shop. And one of my cashiers had lost her son and I was trying to find ways to console her. So I thought, you know, if I get her like a heart rose quartz or something, maybe she can use it in a ritual or whatnot. And I go into this metaphysical shop. Nobody's in there. And... uh I'm like, hello, uh, I, I want to buy something, but I don't see somebody here. This lady pokes her head around the corner like she's hiding from me, and she's like, you need to leave. I said, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were open. She's like, we are, but you can't be in here. You need to leave. I'm like, what are you smoking? What is wrong with you? And she gets very defensive, almost like she's got a gun behind her back, but she doesn't. She just like, she's very threatened and intimidated by me, and she's scared that I'm in her shop. And I said, look, lady... I don't want to touch this because crystals absorb energy. But if you could just put one of these heart quartz 
in a bag, like a, a, a token bag, so I can take it and give it to somebody. I need to gift her. And I told her the situation. She's like, you need to leave right now. You have something very dark attached to you that is uh, very malicious. And I'm like, so I start fucking with her. And I was like, let me guess. It's very brightly colored, almost crystalline. It's about hanging behind me as if a balloon was attached to my belt loop. And it's over my right side. And it's some kind of dragon with uh, every color in the world crystal skin. And her eyes got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And she's just like, oh, my God. So you know about it? And I'm like, bitch, what the fuck are you smoking? I was describing what the girl at the ranch uh, at the brothel had told me. Just joking with her. And she's like, you need to cut cords. You need to learn how to do that. You need to cut cords because that thing is killing you. It's absorbing your energy and it's physically killing you. And I'm like, I I got mad. Because whenever anybody talks about whatever may be attached to me, I get very protective of it and I get very angry. Uh, which could be whatever it is speaking through me. But... Um, I get very defensive about it. And I, I said, you know, listen, whatever it is has protected me from a lot of things. So I have no intention at all of ever getting rid of whatever this is. And I made her, you know, sell me the item. I took it and I left. But uh, I, I got very angry. And, you know, there's a lot of people that keep saying the same fucking thing about me. In fact, another instance at the ranch, we had uh, intuitives and psychics can pick me out from across a room very busy and we had a tarot reader come in and she just kept staring at me the whole time never met knew nothing about her and uh, the girls kept asking if I was going to get a reading and I was like you know I don't like to mess with that stuff I don't want to know the future I don't want to spoil it you know and this lady comes up to me and she's like I want to do a reading for you and I'm like okay sure whatever so we go into the room and she lays out uh, like a, a nine deck. I guess it was a uh, a new sort of tarot card for her. And it, it was uh, squares. And it was like a Russian deck. So you would put things in sort of like a tic-tac-toe formation. And then how they play out is you could turn these squares and they would connect to something else and form a picture. So uh, me being a visual person... I immediately saw what she was laying down and I knew what she was going to connect. And then she could uh, answer questions and describe what the cards were telling her. So she goes to the first card, which I knew connected to the next card, hovers her hand over it, and then she passes it and goes to the next one. And she creates a snake. And then she goes down to the next row and she creates like a sword or something like that. And then on the very bottom, she flips like two cards and it makes a picture of a couple other things. But she didn't touch that first card. And she said, someone you know is about to backstab you. You're going to get a sign tonight as to who that is. And uh, you need to watch yourself because they're going to try and uh, destroy your reputation. I was like, okay, that's good to know. Hey, by the way, why didn't you turn that first card? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, yeah, you do. 
why didn't you turn this one? And I touched the card and I turned it to connect to the other card and it formed a demon. Now, not like, you know, red skin, horn, demon kind of thing like that. It formed a, more like a goblin, I would say. Uh, maybe how like, um, well, I guess it was a Russian deck, so maybe it was like a Russian goblin or demon or something like that. And I said, why didn't you connect this to show the demon? And she's like, you should never speak about that. You should never ask questions about it. And you should just let it be. And I just, at this point, I'm like, you know, whatever. I'm not even going to try and fuck with this one. I'm just going to let it be and let it go. Go back to the bar and I'm bartending. And, uh, you know, again, nothing gets past me. I, I notice the smallest of details with absolutely everything. And that lady was still in the room in a private session that we had just had. And the very next dollar that I got for a tip had the name Dave written on it. As it would turn out, I was in a band with a guy named Dave, and he would eventually try and backstab me, get me kicked out of a band, and uh, it was exactly what she had said. So now there's been several intuitives and several people that have told me that I have this darkness attached to me and that I am... I, I don't know, intuitive. Uh, it's just a lot of weird things go and, and, and happen. So naturally, I study the paranormal. Um, I, I don't do any conjuring or mess with Ouija boards. I've done ghost hunting. Um, people have asked me questions, and sort of my power, if I could uh, describe one, is... Uh, Somebody asks me a question and my first response is what's going to happen. Uh, even if I just lie and make it up, somebody could ask me something random, I'll tell them, and then it ends up happening. It's very weird. Uh, and I have a thing with numbers too. I mean, there could even be a point where I'm out toy hunting and I get a premonition or a feeling that ah, past this store, there's nothing there. Go to the next one and you'll find what you're looking for. And I do. Um, I've pulled out my phone before it rings. I'm sure a lot of people have done that. Uh, I've slammed on my brakes knowing nothing is coming and then see something I hadn't seen before zip past me. I always seem to be in the right place at the right time and whatever I say or attract to me ends up happening. So it's a, it's been a very interesting life and now that I've somewhat been able to figure it out and control things, it's almost like I can make things happen. So needless to say, you've just got a huge backstory on why I would want to work at a place like Zach Bagan's Haunted Museum. And I'll tell you right now, this is going to be a two-parter. So if you got to this point and you've been waiting uh, to hear about the museum, I'm going to go more into detail in the next episode. Um, but what I could tell you is, for one reason or another, it was very odd how I got the job. Uh, it, it was just, it was, it was a very uh, interesting experience. I'm a little bitter and angry that I'm no longer working there because I honestly just wanted to get um, a, a job that would get me out of the house two, three days a week. 
and like most employers, they wanted to occupy 100% of your time and feel that since they pay your bills, they can do that, but they don't realize that they're occupying 120% of your time and only paying 40% of your bills. So it didn't work out. One thing led to another, and uh, just, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you how that story went down. What I can tell you, though, is... I felt like I belonged there. I felt like I belonged around those items. And I can tell you that those uh, items that are in the house and the museum itself very much liked me. In fact, a lot of people were saying that there was more interaction with me being there uh, than anyone else other than Zach himself. Um, which is cool to hear. And I don't know if it just means that my demons were interacting with his demons. You know, I don't really think that uh, they, it's a demon that's attached to me. I don't even know what it is anymore. But, you know, it just, it felt like I needed to be there. And once they realized what I was, who I was, I really honestly believe that they feel that it was dangerous for me to be there in that building because things would happen that would, you know, make most people puke, freak out, faint. And I loved it. I enjoyed it. I was around some of the most haunted items in the world and it just, it felt like home. It really did. It felt like I was drawn there for a particular reason. So maybe that's why it didn't work out is because I would have maybe shifted too much to the other side. I, I, I truly believe after my, episode happened from that point on that I had to have a balance of good and evil or light and dark. So if I was too pious, I would get possessed. If I was too uh, sinful, I would get, you know, lost. And, you know, there was a whole dichotomy of, of darkness and light that I was trying to battle with. And I felt that you had to keep a balance to stay sane and to stay safe and healthy. So, it it was an experience, um, but things did happen there. So not to dissuade anyone from going there, I have my personal opinions about Zach himself and uh, the museum, which I'll go into now in the, the next episode. I didn't realize this one was going to go on, but I felt that uh, the backstory was just as important as to why I am who I am and why I deal with these things. But uh, I, I can tell you that there is a haunting happening at the museum and that things do happen there that are very unexplainable. In other words, paranormal. They might not be the things that your guides or Zach is telling you are there uh, because that would be more or less guilty knowledge just to hype up your anticipation and anxiety. But I've had door handles jiggle behind me when there's nobody on the other side of the door. I've seen shadows and people walking around uh, when there's very little light. I've had interactions with the objects there. In fact, if you listen to uh, Nerdy Lasers Podcasticon, I went into a story in detail, which I'll recount in the next episode of my interaction with the devil's rocking chair. And, uh, it was just it was a cool and and a very fun place to to work but unfortunately 
I went in there thinking I was helping them. And the reason it didn't work out is because I really feel that there was a competition and they thought that I was going to steal the show or that I was going to be uh, the reason people showed up, which I'm just a popular person. Anyone that's ever been around me knows that I attract people to me and I get in trouble a lot of times where I get hired in bands and I'm more popular than the lead singer and then she gets pissed at me because people are requesting my songs and they're like, it's not Jason Wolf's show. I mean, well, fuck it is. If people show up to come see me, then it's my goddamn show. Uh, I don't care if your name's on the bill or I don't care if it's your band. If you hired me for a reason to get people to come to your show, it'd be the same thing at me working at the museum. You hired me to bring people into the museum and I could have fucking done it. So I'll end it on that note. But I will tell you, I think Zach is a douchebag. I think he's a charlatan. And I have enough clues to prove it in my mind. And I'll tell you about it on the next episode.